Hi, Cricket listeners. This is Julissa Arce, and you are listening to Cricket Conversations. Today's Cricket Conversation was recorded last week before some breaking news that 21 Savage will be released on uh, on Bond. And so what you'll hear is an update at the beginning of the conversations with Astrid Silva, who works with immigrants in in her community. Um, she has tons of experience, unfortunately, with, with deportation cases. And so she's going to talk to us about what it means that he's been released on bond and why his fight is not over yet and why so many immigrants who are still in detention are facing these circumstances. In the second part of the conversation, you're going to hear from Jonathan Jace Green, who um, who is a black immigrant, black undocumented immigrant, and he talked to us about um, what it has meant to him to see a spotlight being shed on the black immigrant experience in the United States, and and what the media got wrong about the 21 Savage situation and how so many of us don't know how to even talk about the black immigrant experience. This conversation continues to be so relevant because, again, just because 21 Savage is out on bail doesn't mean that he is free and clear from deportations. He still has to go to a deportation hearing. That fight could last months. It could last years. Um, so the fight is is not over. And I hope that you give this conversation a listen and that you enjoy it. Thanks. Um, Astrid, thank you so much for uh, joining us from a cell phone in Las Vegas, Nevada. I really appreciate you taking the time so last minute to join us on this developing news that 21 Savage has been granted bond, um, which is Great. However, you know, we both know that that's that's hardly the end of his immigration battle. So I'm wondering if you can take us through um, just in your experience from the the cases that you've that you've worked on and people that you've helped. um, What what happens now? Thank you. And yeah, as as a community advocate, you know, I'm not a lawyer, but we've seen a lot of our families fall into these. Um, into this uh, this process, and you know, unfortunately, um, I think while while it's a moment to celebrate that that Twenty One Savage is out, um, you know, he's now with his family. Um, well, he'll be with his family. Um, you know, he is still in in this in this immigration court process, um, and and bond is is only the beginning of a much longer process. And I think that's the biggest thing that we we need to just take into account that you know his freedom from a jail cell is there. Um, but as many other uh, immigrants, he's still going to continue in this immigration process, which now leads to him getting a master's hearing, which is kind of a preliminary uh, hearing to, to kind of hear what's what's going to happen. Um, and then he's going to move on to an individual uh, a hearing, which is, is what, you know, some of us, you know, law and order aficionados <laughs> think is a trial. Um, and it, it really is that, you know, He's going to be in this process for quite some time because, as many of us have seen, the backlog in immigration court is tremendous, um, right. and and he's going to have to be in this process for quite some time. Okay, so what happens now is he goes to uh, he goes to a master hearing, which normally, like in in normal cases, that's the point at which uh, an immigrant and de- who's been in detention can say. Um, can try to find a lawyer that'll represent their case, right? In in this case, he has a lawyer already, uh, but he still has to go through that step. 
Well, what, what happens here is since he does have a lawyer, um, he it's 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 where the the official kind of you know it's presented what. Uh, what could be happening in his case. And, um, you know, another thing to point out is that he, he does have a lawyer. Uh, unfortunately, um, immigration court isn't like criminal court where, you know, you will be assigned a lawyer right. um, no matter what. Unfortunately, we don't have that benefit. And so, yes, right now um, he's going to be moving on to, to kind of presenting the details of his case, what's happening, um, what some of his options might be. Um, because as, 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 you know, we've heard, and I think all of us are kind of operating with what we've read in the, in the, in the press, um, because nobody knows his case outside of his lawyer. Right. Um, his lawyer is really who's going to be, be, you know, uh, instrumental in this. But again, most people don't have a lawyer. Um, but in his situation, um, this is where we're going to hear, you know, about the U visa, about what's happening in his criminal record, um, about what's happening with, with his children who are United States citizens. Um, and, and from what I've read, he has three of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in a few of the articles, you know, it's been said that his mom is a lawful permanent resident. So all of these things will kind of come to, to a, a head at this at this master hearing, um, which again, is kind of a preliminary where they're just going to check out what's happening. Um, and then he's going to get a court date farther down the line. We don't know. It depends. Um, you know, I, I'm assuming he's going to stay based out of the, the Atlanta um uh, immigration uh, court. And so depending on how long their backlog is, um, you know, people could wait months and months and months, even years in order to get their their next individual hearing, um, which is where, you know, it's the trial. It's where they put us um, and kind of decide, you know, is this person worthy of staying? Are there mm-hmm. any remedies? Um, and so, you know, I think, again, yes, his freedom was won today from a jail cell, um, but his his path to um, either removal or to being able to stay is is going to be a pretty long one. Yeah, and I think I mean that that I think is um, I I was uh, we originally recorded this cricket conversation because of what we could learn from the twenty one savage situation and 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 what his particular story highlights about a broader immigration. Um, issues from a broader immigration issues. And, and I think this is just one more thing that uh, we can take his case as a way to shed a light on this issue, right? Like exactly what you just said about the fact that um, immigrants don't get a, a court assigned lawyer uh, when they're going through this. So if you cannot afford a lawyer or if, if um, community, community organizations that provide lawyers are, are at capacity, then you don't get anyone to represent you in your case. Um, in his at particular all. case, you know, he does have, um, he has financial resources to be able to hire a group of lawyers that can represent him, which, you know, which is great. But to your point, even him with his resources, he could still be waiting months and, and some people wait even years just to be able to have their court hearing and in between getting released from detention and their hearing, there's a lot of uncertainty that happens in that period of time because you just don't know what's going to happen to you once your hearing comes. And particularly, you know, people um, people who don't have a lawyer are, are at a severe disadvantage, which again is why it's so important um, that we, we get involved with deportation defense and, um, you know, uh, lawyer support for our community. But again, 21 Savage, um, you know, he's a rapper. Uh, it kind of, it's not like he has a work schedule. Um, you know, he, he missed out on the Grammys, which is an incredible opportunity for him that, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. He may, you know, whatever ends up happening. 
But when we think about people in the community, you know, if you're in jail for nine days, as he was, um, you know, you might lose your job. So you might come back and not have a job and not have access to having that money to pay for a lawyer. It really, it piles up and it's adding all of these um, uncertainties to these families because what happens, uh, again, he spent nine days. So, you know, add any nine days to whatever it is you're, you're, you know, the person is in that situation. And it really creates, um, it, it creates a lot of harm, not only um, for for the family, um, but also for the community, because what's happening, um, and, and this is nine days, you know, what happens with people that are there for a month, right. people who can't afford the bond, so they have to serve out however long it has to. This really disrupts the lives of the people affected. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. So I guess just, just to, to sort of summarize it all, 21 Savage will be released on bond, I think that his lawyer said that he would be released on Wednesday. So if you're hearing this conversation on Wednesday, um, you know, hopefully he's out and reunited with his family. But he still has a long road ahead, and um, this is things that this is th- these are things that immigrants face every single day. And his lawyers will be making the case for um, for why he should be allowed to stay in the United States and not be deported. I'm presuming they're going to, um, bring up his three citizen children. They're going to bring up his pending, um, U visa, which, uh, which is, which is a special visa for people who are victims of crimes. But again, there's a huge backlog of those visas too. Like people can wait 10 years to get one of those visas. Um, so this this is by far from being over. He still has a long road ahead. And, you know, I was really glad to hear in his statement that he's saying he's not soon going to forget what he's been through and he's not soon going to forget the the other people that are in the same detention center where he is going to be released from. And that's, you know, you never want anybody to be in detention, but I think having someone like him who has a platform, um, you know, because we have we have thousands of families in detention every single day um, and and they are experiencing this. And I, I think it's unfortunate that it had to happen this way um, for his family and himself. But um, this is shedding a really big spotlight on what's happening. You know, this isn't just about. Um, about what's happening, you know, at the border or what's happening with Dreamers or DACA. Mm-hmm. This is also happening every single day to to our family members. And uh, we we have to, again, be reminded just because he's out on bond does not mean that his life is going to go back to perfect now and, you know, he's going to get paperwork and, and everything's going to be great. And I think the more that our, our fellow Americans understand that this, this immigration process is not as simple as it seems. Uh, I think the sooner that we can start working on real solutions. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I, I really appreciate it, Astrid. Thank you. Hi, y'all. This is Julissa Arce, and you are listening to Crooked Conversations. On today's episode, I talked to Jonathan J. Green, who is the president and co-founder of the Undocu Black Network. And we talked about 21 Savage and we talked about his detention and everything that the media got wrong in the way that they reported it, the lack of empathy and the lack of context that they provided. Um, in, in the U.S. today, there are over 600,000 black undocumented immigrants. We don't often talk about them. They are not often part of the conversation. And 21 Savage's situation really highlighted a lot of that and why um, 
a lot of us don't even know how to talk about the intersection of being black and being undocumented. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation and that you share it. So here we go. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us today. I couldn't really think of a of a better person to have this conversation with and and so I'm really grateful that you're taking time joining us from Atlanta. Thank you for joining us on this cricket conversation. Thank you so much for inviting me. Happy to be here. Um so I mean we're here to talk about the detention of 21 Savage, but not just to really talk about his particular circumstances, but to really um, shed a light on you know everything that the media got wrong with this case and everything that we can learn from from his situation. So you know there, there are an estimated um, like six hundred thousand undocumented mm-hmm. Black immigrants living in the U.S. Right, mm-hmm. and we don't often hear of the of the Black immigrants that are getting detained, uh, even though Black immigrants are detained at much higher rates than other populations of undocumented immigrants. That's right. So so the black immigrant experience tends to be largely unseen by the public and and not very well covered by the media. Right. Why do you think that is? So there's so many, there's a variety of reasons why. I think what's really important for us to know about what's happening with both Shayab and Abraham Joseph or, or 21 Savage and also the community at large is that there there is a phrase that we often use about our community being invisible but also hyper visible right being hmm. visible to the movement to the larger conversation about immigration in this country but then also because we are criminalized because we are more likely to be detained by law enforcement we are overrepresented when it comes to immigration detention and deportation rates um, if you look at the numbers that ICE released uh, for the first two fiscal years of the Trump administration you see that though there's been an overall slightly uh, uh, shift downwards for overall detention. The detention, uh, uh, the detention and deportation in particular of African migrants have actually gone up exponentially. And then, if you break that down by country, you're able to see that the migrants from Somalia, their deportation rates have tripled, if not quadrupled. And why is that? I think it's because people from Somalia in particular are at the intersection of anti-blackness, xenophobia, but also Islamophobia with Somalia being mm-hmm. on the Muslim ban, right? So I think this is why we, when we talk about intersectionality, this is what it looks like in practice. People being targeted, people being criminalized, and then having deadly outcomes that oftentimes are not talked about. So I think this moment uh, with 21 Savage deportation, we are fighting to release him. There's an entire coalition to get him out. But we're also wanting to make sure that everyone understands that actually this is the norm for black immigrants in this country. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think you said something that's, um, you know, that those phrases that you that you use to describe the experience of black immigrants is so is so on point. And I want to go back and just talk a little bit more about this, this high, highly visible uh, because of of the experience that you know, black American citizens have in this country right. with police right. and um, with you know the, the the racism that exists in the criminal justice system. Right. One, one of the things that I want to I want to go through sort of like the different things that the media got wrong and just talk about like set the record straight almost on all of right. these different things. Like one one of the one of the things that I found just like really annoying was 
the media taking ISIS statement yes. as sort of fact. Yes. You know, they were just like mm-hmm. reporting on it as it was fact without without and, and like what what really frustrates me about that is that one, you know, the media doesn't quite understand ISIS tactics and mm-hmm. like this is something that they mm-hmm. do. You know, they try to like yep. they try to really attack the character yep. of the people they detain. Yep. But also just the fact that we are living in the Trump administration and the Trump administration likes to live in alternative facts. Right. Right. So, you know, there's <laughs> that. Um, but the 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 one thing that, going back to your point about being highly visible, you know, they talked about 21 Savage's criminal record, right? Yep. And they were like, he's a convicted felon, without kind of putting that into context of yeah. what you were saying, right? Just yeah. of the of the policing around Black communities and the fact that like his criminal record has actually been sponged. Right. So, right. but but I'm wondering if you could tell us more about why, in the immigration system, having your record expunged might not even matter. So I, I think what's re- so there's a few things, and I'm really glad that you brought up um, the point about re- like the issue with the media taking ISIS statements um, as facts, right? Um, because you know we at the Undocu Black Network we're always working on deportation defense cases um, of migrants across the country, and oftentimes we see that being the tactic, right? Like I think about Papa Dumbia, who is a beloved community leader from Detroit last year, who we were fighting to get him released, and the minute that we were getting momentum with getting the community to support him, then ICE releases these statements about previous records and saying this person is a danger to the community, Um, and particularly understanding that using criminality to excuse the removal of black immigrants is not a coincidence. Um, The Black Alliance for Just Immigration had a report um, a couple of years ago that showed that black immigrants um, were disproportionately um, targeted when it comes to being removed for criminal criminal grounds. So I think it was around 76% of black immigrants that were deported were deported for criminal grounds, whereas the other immigrant groups were at 46%. Now, that's mm. I don't believe, and that's usually the case, that black immigrants commit more crimes than other immigrants. Like that, That's not the, the reality. Is, but the fact is that folks are uh, criminalized in such a way because of who they are in the history of this country and anti-blackness in the criminal legal system, right? And that's how that shows up, right? And I think what's also really important to remember is that actually his attorney, what, what they have said is that 21 Savage has no current or previous criminal record. So I think there's been a lot of misconception about whether or not he does, but I'm just going by the the words that the attorneys have used, right? Um, And, you know, there's been actually a lot of misinformation, like actually like simple facts that ICE has said about 21 Savage that the attorneys are able to, to briefly just prove that they're actually lying, even talking about the age in which he came to the country. Right. Um, so right. it's very clear to us, and you and I, Julissa, you know, because we've lived this, this experience, we know that ICE regularly lies, and I think the media needs to be more critical and really de- do more background investigations before they're putting out um, whatever the ICE press release says as facts. Right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, the, the, other, the other kind of point where I was sort of you know, fuming almost was when I spokesperson told CNN that, uh, quote, uh, his whole persona, his whole public persona oh. is false and mm-hmm. that he actually came to the U.S. from the U.K. UK as a teen mm-hmm. and overstayed his visa. Yep. And to your point, like there's just basic facts, right? He came to the U.S. when he was seven, yep. not when he was a teen. Yep. Um, yep. And as immigrants, like 
we we demand that immigrants assimilate to American culture, that they learn how to speak English, that they renounce their ties to their homeland. So why do we feel fooled when mm. an immigrant lacks an accent, when they rep the American city where they grew up, mm-hmm. and when they not only embrace the culture, but they help to create it? Yes. I, why is that? I was so angry about that as well. Um, because, I mean, even when I think about my personal story being undocumented, um, I came to the U.S. when I was 13. So I was a little bit older than than 21. Um, but I love and I really deeply connected with my state of Maryland. So I think for so, so for the folks who saw me growing up, like that would definitely qualify me as a Marylander. Right. And to be to see folks wanting to erase the identity that he has so that 21 has so beautifully crafted and built and really owned. Right. Right, growing up in, an, in in a city um, that at times like gets a bad rap, but like Twenty One be- loves Atlanta, right? So to be able to see that being erased is really, which I think continues to to remind us in the ways in which immigrants, and particularly Black people, are always seen as foreign in this country. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, you know, it doesn't matter how like much we uh, like to use the word assimilate or really uh, beautifully mesh into our communities. Like in this country, we apparently we will always be seen as foreign. Um, and that's something that's really upsetting. Yeah. It's like either either you're viewed as as foreign or when people can't tell that you're from somewhere else uh, because you know you don't have an accent or you don't look a particular way and the ideas that people have about who and what an undocumented person looks like. Um, but then you know when we do, and I hate this word assimilation. Like I have, yeah. I, I have such a such a negative reaction to the word. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Um, when we do like quote unquote assimilate, then you know then then this happens where even even the most well intentioned progressive outlets you know we're like oh we were so shocked that he's actually from the uk and like you are like erasing this whole experience Mm -hmm. that we immigrants have of like really and you know we 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 have lived and especially when i think about his experience and like your experience and even my experience you know we came here when we were very young and by Mm -hmm. now we've spent most of our lives in this country right i mean like just to be able to, and I feel like I've already said this, and I don't want to talk in circles, but just it, I really feel deeply the anger um, of seeing someone's identity being erased, right? Like, it's like we can't hold that someone was born elsewhere and also loves and their identity was shaped by a particular American city. What is that about? Right. Right. Well, I, th- I have this theory that, you know, when people tell us to assimilate, what they really mean is that like we should embrace whiteness mm. and well. it's just kind of really like racist calls yep. to to separate us from them right you know because like when i think about when i think about like american culture and i'm not the first person to say this by any means but i really think that so much of american culture is like influenced if not even created by like black culture yeah you know yeah but that's not really what people are asking us when they say like you should assimilate you need to like embrace america like those are not and that is not the culture that they're asking us to embrace right right and I mean, it's, and in so many ways, again, like his story is, is so emblematic to what black immigrants in particular experience, right? Like he um, really uh, embraced Atlanta, embraced like, blackness, right? Um, and the way in which 
ICE is using uh, to expel him is f- to criminalize it, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to, to use these mantles of criminality to say that he's not worthy um, of being in this country or not worthy of being one of us, right? Um, mm-hmm. And that's what often happens. Like, you either have to choose whiteness or choose uh, otherness. Um, so I, I, I think it's, it's really upsetting. Yeah. I want to go back to that point of... Um, you know the the the, crit- the criminality aspect of all of this, and so many people saying, "Well, he's a criminal, so like he should have." And, and you know, and and this this was even said like in like pro immigrant chat rooms. You know, like, well, he he should have he should have behaved like he should have straight stayed on the straight and narrow, and uh, he's a criminal, right? Um, and and that that just it kills me to like have to tell people like, well. First, we have to look at like why he may even have gotten arrested in the first place. And also, it seems that when you are convicted of a crime and you do your time, it's like it's it stays with you forever. Like it doesn't matter what you do. You can't ever step away from it. Right, right. I mean, like, so, so to be clear, I'm just continuing to, to uplift the, the statement that the lawyer said that he had no current or, pr- or previous criminal convictions. But mm-hmm. what, what was the case with Papa Dumbia, um, the migrant from Detroit last year, on whose deportation defense campaign we worked on, is that he had served time over a decade ago. And had been faithfully mm, right. going to his check-ins to ICE every year, doing everything by the book, right? And in some ways, he was punished double. He was punished twice for something that he already had paid, uh, served his time for. So, I mean, like in so many ways, I, I think it continues to to show this like underlying sentiment that for you to be an immigrant and to be a part of this country, you have to be perfect, right? right. And you have but to even be, when you are perfect, right? Even when you're perfect, I, I was getting it's there. Like still yep. not enough. Yeah, never enough. It is never enough. Um, it's like the standards continue to. Uh, to be elevated, right, about who is worthy of being in this country in so many ways where um, our folks, you know, our folks are inherently worthy of, of being a part of, of the community that they grew up. And that's the reality. Yeah, yeah. Crooked Conversations is brought to you by Quip. The new year means new resolutions. And we've got one you're working on twice every day. I hope it's at least twice every day. It's your oral health. And with Quip Electronic Toothbrush, sticking to good habits is simple. The guiding features are like built-in support system for better brushing. The Quip Toothbrush features sensitive sonic vibrations gentle enough on your sensitive gums. It also has built-in two-minute timer that pulses every 30 seconds to remind you when it's time to switch sides, helping guide a full and even clean. Who doesn't like a full and even clean? Quip doesn't require a clunky charger and runs for three months on one charge. That honestly is my favorite feature, and I'm so sad that um, I left my Quip in a hotel room and now it's lost forever so now I'm gonna have to get a new one. And since three out of four of us uses bristles that are old and worn out, Quip delivers new brush heads automatically on a dentist recommended schedule every three months for just $5. Quip is one of the first electronic toothbrushes accepted by the American Dental Association and has thousands of verified five-star reviews. That's why I love Quip and why over one million happy, healthy mouths do too. 
Quip starts at just $25. And if you go to getquip.com slash crooked combos right now, you can get your first refill pack for free. That's your first free refill pack at getquip.com slash crooked combos. Crooked Conversations is brought to you by Sleep Number. I really wish I was sleeping right now. I'm actually exhausted and can't wait to get to my sleep number bed. You've heard me talk about how much I love my sleep number bed. My sleep number setting is 35. My partner's is 60. Maybe you've considered a sleep number bed but thought you couldn't afford one. I know I've thought that too. But can you really afford another restless night's sleep? I know I can't. There's never been a better time to save on proven quality sleep. Now, during the Ultimate Sleep Number event, a Queen 360 smart bed starts at only $8.99. So many couples disagree on mattress firmness. I mean, so many couples disagree on so many things. So does mattress firmness really need to be another thing you add to the list? I don't think so. Sleep Number beds let you choose your ideal firmness on each side so it's just right for both of you. The Sleep Number 360 smart beds are so smart, they sense every move and automatically adjust to you, keeping you sleeping comfortably throughout the night. Sleep Number has been ranked highest in customer satisfaction with mattresses by J.D. Power. For 2018 award information, visit jdpower.com. Come in during the Ultimate Sleep Number event and save 50% on a Sleep Number 360 limited edition smart bed. Sleep Number is the official sleep and wellness partner of the NFL. And since football season's now over, I can assume that a lot of the football players are now sleeping on their sleep mattress bed. You'll only find Sleep Number at one of their 575 Sleep Number stores nationwide. Visit sleepnumber.com slash crookedconvos to find the store nearest you. So the, the other the other aspect of this that really stood out to me were this these conversations around his money and his cloud and his influence mm-hmm. and you know why didn't he use all that money to like apply earlier or like why didn't he if he's been here for so long and he's been undocumented for so long like why didn't he apply sooner and like one aspect of it is that actually he does have a pending yeah. uh, application. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, but the other aspect of it, I'm wondering if you could tell us more about it, is this idea that if you have money and you have influence and you have cloud, that then you should find a way to apply. Yeah, so I, I, I'm so glad that you brought that up because I was going to bring that up. Every time people are like, why didn't he apply sooner? Well, actually, he's had a pending visa application for, I think, around two years now. Um, so there was no real... Can you real... tell us what that is? Like, yes. For people so U visas um, are category visas that you have access to if you've been a victim of a crime. So if you are a victim of a crime and you are collaborating with law enforcement, then you get a level of protection and that's a pathway to adjust status. Um, but that there are a limited number of those visas per year, right? So you, it's not like you apply one year and you get it. You have to wait multiple years. Right. So he had some so he had some sort of protection, one. And then two, I think um, what often like a lot of folks are asking about or wondering about is like um, whether or not he was targeted. Right. We know that Mm. about five days before he was picked up, he was on The Tonight Show rapping about family separation. 
Um, and we have to remi- remind ourselves that this is ICE. ICE has a history and a pattern of retaliation against people who speak out, right? We know that from Alejandro Pablos's case, from Ravi Revere's case, from John Montreville. There's been multiple people um, that I've spoken out and dared to be activists and really speak truth to power. And then ICE has, has in turn targeted them. So this would not be the first time that it happened, right? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the other point about the, like, why didn't he apply sooner? And I'm sure that, you know, as an activist, you've been asked this question before, which is, like, why why haven't you gotten legal? You know, oh. I know I get that question a lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if only I could. Uh, <laughs> right, right. I'm right. like, why does anybody think that people stay undocumented because they want to? Like, it's not an easy experience. Right. And if we had a... If we do, like for me, you know, when I had the when I had the opportunity to adjust my status because um, because I was married to a U.S. citizen, mm-hmm. well, then I adjusted my status. But even you know, even even then, like when people marry U.S. citizens, and I've said this before, so if you've heard other conversations, you you've heard me say this before. Like even when people when people um, get married to a U.S. citizen, it's not a guarantee that you're gonna right. you're gonna get a green card. Yep. Um, and this is the this is the other point, right? People were saying, well, like Twenty One Savage, he, um, you know, like Cardi B, like she's she's you know she's been really outspoken recently. So like props to her, uh, she's really kind of uh, she might not she might not know all the like details and nuances of right. things, but like she's standing up and like using her platform to bring yep. attention, right? Yep. Which is great. Um, but one of the things that that she said was. He didn't enter the country illegally, right? He 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 didn't enter, and and so and 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 I know that that point um, ruffled some feathers mm-hmm. because then we're kind of separating people into well, you enter the country correctly and you didn't, when in reality, the people enter by whatever means are available to mm-hmm. them. So if you he entered with a visa, his visa expired, and we know that 40% of the people who are undocum- undocumented in the country, that is the case. We have we had expired visas right. of some sort. Yep. Right? Um, but what like what are the dangers of of creating this distinction between the between immigrant groups? Like you came in legally, you didn't, you have a criminal record, you don't. Like what are the dangers in doing that? Well, first of all, it's um, I mean, immigration is such a complex topic. Right. And I, I don't expect folks who don't spend day and night like you and I uh, do right. trying to understand this process are really like trying to figure out how to advocate for, for our community to, to understand all the details. So I um, I was really happy that Cardi spoke up in, in his support. And there's been a coalition of folks working to be able to bring more awareness. As you know, there's a petition going around. Um, yeah, I want to ask you about that in a minute. Yes. OK. Um, so I think so. So I, I do have a little bit of grace for those reasons, but. Um, I think it's really dangerous when we get to get to uh, when we feel comfortable enough to differentiating who is worthy of being here, who is worthy of protection, and who isn't. Right, mm-hmm. um, and like often, oftentimes, like people, um, there's there's a times this narrative about migration being beautiful and um, this being the, this like you sort of glorified process, but oftentimes people are fleeing um, for their lives. 
Oftentimes, people are seeking protection from persecution. Oftentimes, people are seeking um, a better life when uh, back home there wasn't an opportunity. There were opportunities to, to succeed, right? Um, so, you know, I think oftentimes we might take different paths. Like my family and I, we definitely overstayed our visa as well. But if we didn't, if we weren't privileged enough to get a visa to begin with, like I right. think we probably would have crossed the border as well. Right, so I don't think there is like we cannot make a difference um, in like how folks get here, right? Um, I think we just need to understand that the system, the immigration system that we have, does not meet the needs of, of like the global economy that we work in. Um, it doesn't meet the needs of. Um, it doesn't create pathways for folks to be able to actually adjust. I mean, it's nearly impossible uh, to someone to adjust once they're undocumented, um, and there are often very few uh, avenues. And when when those do exist, I mean. That there is so much that comes with them, and it's not an easy process, anyways, right? That's why we have over 11 million undocumented people. If that weren't the case, we would have a lot less, right? Um, but I, right. I think it's really important to center ourselves in the fact that uh, migration is a human right, and folks uh, deserve to live and live without fear of persecution. Um, and we need to be able to match to create a system in our country that allows and recognizes that reality. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't agree more. And you know, if nothing else, I think that unfortunately sometimes it takes a really horrible, terrible thing happening for people to like pay attention and you know, I think that's happening right now. Like uh twenty one Savage's case is like really bringing to light uh a lot of things that people don't know. But again, like yep. that's why it's so important for, you know, people in the media and us as like activists to continue to just like provide context yep. to these things, right? To, yep. to say like, yeah, exactly, look at twenty one Savage. Like if you know, it, with all with all sort of like the influence and the money that he has and like whatever else you think about him he still got picked up by ICE and he's yep. still sitting in a cell like almost a week, you know, a, a, more than a week after he was um, he was detained and like yep. he's not even given the opportunity to post bail. And yep. according to his lawyers, he's been sitting in a, he's been on lockdown for 23 hours. Yep. And so like the conditions and that, that's the other thing that I really um, want to bring attention to is like the conditions of people who are who are detained in more often than not for profit detention centers. Yep, and that that hits so hard uh, for me because I know that um, I know I know a lot of people like you said were like, oh, he has so much money, he's going to be fine, or oh, he has so much recognition and support, he's going to be fine. But the fact of the matter is, he's being held in one of the worst detention centers in the country. You know, we know that the courts, the immigration courts in Atlanta are some of the harshest in the country that has that they have the lowest rates um, of asylum approvals. I mean, there are so many things that make the situation that he is in so precarious. Right. And that's with a team of really qualified and excellent attorneys. That's with national coalitions sort of fighting on his behalf. So I think I, I want folks to recognize that, like, even through all the things that he has, he's still struggling. Like, what does that mean for the rest of our right. undocumented folks across the country who don't have that level of support? So I really do want folks to take a second and realize the moment that we're living through and that folks really do need help. Yep. Absolutely. So let's so let's 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 start kind of um, getting to that to that point. Um, I, I want to ask you first, though. You know, you are like you are a black undocumented immigrant, right? 
and and you've created this uh, undocu black network. Um, and I don't want to assume like all the different reasons why you created this network or why you created this organization. So I want you to tell us like f what experiences you had that kind of let you to say, you know what, we need to have a dedicated space for black immigrants. Yeah, thank you for asking that. Um, and then I definitely also want to talk about more about the coalition and the work in the future mm -hmm. as well. Um, but I think in in terms of UndocuBlack, we are a national and multi-generational network of Black undocumented people, people who are currently undocumented, people who used to be undocumented because we recognize that the trauma doesn't just go away the second mm -hmm. you get a piece of paper, right? Um, and for us, we organize at the intersection of racial justice and immigration. Um, and over time, I mean, I think it's no secret to most folks that the immigrant rights movement has had a history of anti-blackness, right? Um, we, just, we just have to call it out for what it is. Um, and oftentimes, you know, I think... In, in, in the effort of making or, or making a calculation about like what it takes to win, I think, you know, some folks m made a decision to take out like the race aspect of immigration and to sort of mm. fight for one for a, a version of immigration that didn't explicitly talked about race. And when we make those decisions like that, um, the policy issues that are mostly impacting black immigrants that get left behind. Right. Um, it's, it's, so it's about policies, about narratives. Right. And it's really about like, what does it take to create a welcoming space where all of our communities can thrive and can feel like they can fight for their own liberation? Right. Um, and for us, for me and the co-founders of UndocuBlack, we would really triggered or pushed us to action was the death of Freddie Gray. Um, mm -hmm. I lived in Baltimore for several years, um, and prior prior to, to the uprisings in Baltimore, I'd done a lot of work um, on passing the state version of the Dream Act in Maryland. Um, and during that during that work, I admitted this incredible group of young African American students in Baltimore City. Um, I, I shared my story with them, and. You know, after I did that, they went on and because we the Dream Act was up to referendum, so voters had to vote for the vote or for or against the Dream Act. And their work, those incredible young people in Baltimore, knocked on over five thousand doors um, in support of the Dream Act um, to to the point that on election day, the districts that they had targeted had a, the Dream Act had a higher level of support than President Obama which is a huge mm. deal. Like, I think it really speaks to the power that those young people made a difference in. So I had really seen them show up and really live live uh, intersectionality in practice, right? Like, I think, I don't think, I'm not sure they had the right, like, terminology, but they right. put their bodies on the line to support immigrant communities. So years later, when the uprisings happened, um, and, you know, at that point, I was like, these are my folks. Like, you know, I, I think I, we had rebuilt a really beautiful connection. And then when they were struggling um, and they were making their, their demands known about what had been happening in the city of Baltimore for a long time. And when I didn't see the immigrant rights movement respond in the same kind and the same kind of like solidarity that I see I have seen them do, um, it was really hurtful for me and a lot of other black and documented folks because yeah. it really felt like folks didn't see how those issues were connected and how our lives were at the center of all those struggles, right? Um, so we really started in DocuBlack wanting to have a place to heal, a place to strategize, and a place to be able to, to, to think about how do we move forward as a community? What are the things we need to be demanding? How do we 
create our own space um, and our own, own campaigns and policy agendas. And of course, working with a multi-generational, multi-racial coalition, but it really... Because historically, there had not been space for us. We had to create that space and then work in coalition. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's amazing. I'm so glad you shared all of that with us. I, I want to make one. I want to just make one quick um, clarification on the on the Dream Act because I think some a lot of times we you know we use the the, the Dream Act and so I don't and and people get confused and so I just don't want Ooh, people to think like yes. oh like the Dream Act did, did pass. You know what what we're talking about here specifically different states. Um, are trying to or have in the past uh, enacted state Dream Acts, mm-hmm. which on different levels allow um, allow undocumented students to have access to um, college and to have access to state funds in some cases and to pay in state tuition. So that's that's like what we're talking about here when mm-hmm. with this like dream act so i just wanted to make that clarification for people who might be like oh i thought the dream act hadn't passed because i'm always like the dream act hasn't passed and it's been 18 years <laughs> <laughs> thank you i appreciate so you I wanna, for catching that yep <laughs> so i want to like um i want to make that distinction but i think you know i think you're absolutely right i think it's taken it's taken some time for people um to 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 recognize the intersection of our different struggles and it's taken time for people to show up for each other um and we you know we have to continue to to do better because it's it you know again like going back to um the the sort of central theme of this conversation of taking 21 savage situation and like in and highlighting um issues in the community you know this is what happens this is this is how in practice it shows up where when you have a criminal justice system that is broken and when you have an immigration system that is broken and when you have uh, black people who are very often the people most affected in both of those systems. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think it's, and I've definitely seen some movement and folks wanting to to acknowledge that and really work on that. And I think, again, like the 21 Savage uh, case has provided an incredible opportunity for folks to show up and practice what they've sort of begun to say over time, that they support Black undocumented people. Um, to me, it's been really beautiful and I'm really grateful that the campaign to free 21 Savage has been led by the Black Lives Matter Global Network um, and coalition with Undocky Black and Baji and the Color and Color of Change and Define American. So to see like this much level of like uh, collaboration and solidarity across groups, um, focusing on like the stories of a, of a black person who's been criminalized, who was in detention is really beautiful. And I want to continue to see that going forward. Yeah, I agree. Um, so tell us tell us more about this this coalition. And um, I know that there is a petition. So tell, tell us more about that and how people can can get involved. So, so there. So as I mentioned, so the coalition is the Free Twenty One Savage Coalition. Um, right now, if folks go to free twenty one savageorg they can go check out the petition that we have up. We're close to half a million signatures, um, which is amazing, and I'm really grateful for it. Um, and, and it's basically a petition demanding the release of Twenty One Savage. Right? Um, we're demanding that he's released from detention and that they stop his deportation. Um, the next, I think, we're, we're working with the legal team to determine. The next steps, and I think the next level of escalation will likely be making calls. But we want folks to sign up on the website to make sure that they are staying up to date. Uh, what it, what is it? What what is the the time that we're calling for? And folks will be hearing that from the, from us shortly. 
Um, I think the other thing that folks can also do is share the graphics um, on, on their social media pages or on sharing that via email um, and also continuing to uplift the stories of Black undocumented folks in detention throughout the country. Um, every day we at UndocuBlack are working on a variety of cases, whether it's people raising money for their bond hearings, um, whether it's people raising money for their legal fees, whether it's people uh, protesting uh, someone's detention, right? So there's never enough work uh, to go around, right? Um, so I think we can, I want folks to begin uh, if they have not been involved in supporting black immigrants before, I definitely want them to support 21 Savage, sign the petition. And as we ask for a further escalation, if he's not released, then definitely come, come with us on that journey and also figure out what are the local ways to support people. Because in every, like our folks are all throughout the country um, and their detention centers are all throughout the country and the folks need support wherever they are at. Great. So, Jonathan, can you can you tell us more about like your particular experience and journey? Yes. So I'm happy to share. So I've um, my family and I came from Panama, actually, um, when I was 13. Um, when we often talk about black immigrants in this country, I think people will usually forget um, that there is a whole subsection of black folks in Latin America, um, right. including like families like mine from, from Panama. Um, but we came to, uh, in 2005, um, of course, seeking uh, better opportunities and really like escaping like poverty in some ways back back home. Um, I've been sort of organizing uh, for the past, what, 10, 10 years or so since I was in high school. I um, started organizing around uh, being undocumented and, and advocating for the Federal Dream Act back then that still hasn't passed, like you always said, Julissa. Um, and then moving my work at the state level, um, working on like queer and undocumented issues as well, and then also then leading um, the Undocu Black Network and one of the co-founders of it. Um, and I think my work it really has been a reflection to be able to, of like wanting to fight for a world that welcomes people like me who share multiple identities. Um, wanting to create a world and a movement that fights and uplifts those who are most marginalized, right? Um, and that over time, that's looked like yes, a black undocumented, um, but also th these days we're doing a lot more work supporting black Muslim communities who are often left out and not seen in these spaces. There's a ton of work to be done around the queer and trans immigrants as well. Um, so I think this is like a moment that I, I continue to welcome folks to, to to really take up their space in our movement and to really help make it as inclusive and broad as possible, because I think that's the only way we're going to win. Great. Jonathan, thank you so much for, for joining us. I really appreciate your insights, uh, sharing your experience with our listeners. And I'm just really thankful that there are leaders like you who you know, step up and they say this doesn't exist. This this space uh, is there, and we must take it up, and we're going to do it together. So, thank you so much. I um, I'm really looking forward to seeing everything else that you do and how you continue to change the world. So, thank you. Likewise, thank you so much for inviting me, and I look forward to changing the world with you. So that was our conversation, y'all. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much for tuning in. And next week on Crooked Conversations, we'll have another great one. 